Welcome to the New Books Network. The biblical book of Lamentations contains a whirlwind of emotional responses to tragedy and suffering. It expresses anger, doubt, and confusion. And yet its central message is one of deep hope and trust in the goodness of God. Join us as we speak with Dr. Yael Ziegler about her recently published commentary, Lamentations, Faith in a Turbulent World. You're listening to New Books and Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Dr. Yael Ziegler is an assistant professor of Bible at Herzog Academic College, senior lecturer at Matan, Jerusalem. In addition to her two commentaries with Koran Publishers, she has also written Promises to Keep, the Oath in Biblical Narrative. Yael, welcome to New Books and Jewish Studies. Thank you. Yael, as we begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in Tanakh scholarship? Okay, so uh, I grew up in in Philadelphia, and uh, I did my first degree at Stern College, which is the women's division of Yeshiva University. Um, I then made Aliyah, I moved to Israel, and I did my subsequent degrees at Bar-Ilan University. Uh, There I became interested in Bible studies. There's something very exciting about studying Bible here in the land. I'm I'm speaking right now from Israel, where I live. Uh, And studying Bible here had a bit of a different, it was a bit of a different experience because you could really go out and as you were studying the Bible, you could go out and see the Bible. And it became really part of my Aliyah experience, part of my moving to Israel, um, my love for, for, for Bible grew. The title of your commentary, Lamentations, Faith in a Turbulent World, seems so appropriate for our present times. What was it like to write this commentary in the midst of a pandemic? Yeah, well, um, that's, that's an interesting question. I started writing the book about seven years ago. Um, I don't churn out books that quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, it was really ready to go to print actually before the pandemic hit. Um, and then when the pandemic, when, when it did hit, so they kind of froze the book, I had a chance to look at it again, to rethink some of it. And I added at the end of the book, a little, a little description of what you're asking, which is, you know, how this book, um, coming out during a pandemic or actually being frozen during a pandemic, um, actually how it influenced the way that I looked at the book, which as I said, was, was largely com- complete. But what I intended this book to be was a book that addressed the question of how humans deal with suffering, deal with pain, especially, you know, catastrophe on on a worldwide scale that can often seem arbitrary and and certainly unfair when we're, you know, from our narrow perspective. And and furthermore, also how we can find a, a ray of light, some hope within the experience of catastrophe worldwide. I saw a lot of people around me rally around their neighbors. I saw a lot of people around me, you know, sending out all these humorous memes and ways to to cope. And, you know, you're not going to find that in, in, in the Book of Lamentations. You're not going to find a lot of humor or or even not that much actual consolation. But you will find coping mechanisms and you will find, I think, the language of pain, the way in which, which is one of the ways that human beings cope with 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 tragedy and and so you know at, at some point i did feel that it was very appropriate that this book was going to come out 
during. I mean, I would I would like to say on the heels of or, you know, following the catastrophe. But as we know, you know, certainly parts of the world are still deep in the throes of it. We here in Israel seem to be somewhat emerging from it. I think many of you also in the United States feel that way. But, you know, when you do emerge, I think, from this kind of catastrophe, it, you're also more reflective. And um, and one of the things I think that the Book of Lamentations does is it enables us to be reflective within a theological context. What does it mean? It, you know, what does the Bible tell us about our relationship with God in the aftermath of of tragedy, especially on this kind of worldwide scale? Even for those of us who read the Bible regularly, the Book of Lamentations often falls off the radar. And yet, as with the more popular Book of Psalms, it's a gift. The Psalms, for example, enable us to express our praise to God, but also our frustrations and questions. In a similar way, it seems Lamentations provides us with a script for wailing and grief. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with you with regard to the book of Psalms. What's, what's wonderful, of course, of, of, about the book of Psalms is that it, it, it enables human beings to express their own perspective, you know, that the prophets come along and they express God's perspective. And the book of Psalms really is a vehicle through which human beings can express their own experiences and the range and depth of those experiences in the book of Psalms is, is really remarkable. So, you know, I, I personally have a, a strong love and affinity for reading the book of Psalms and, and, and trying to draw messages from it. Um, but I really did find with the Book of Lamentations that even though I think it's 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 somewhat less accessible, there's a lot of of grief. It's it's very dense. It's very heavy. It relates to one particular event in 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 you know in in biblical history, and that is of course the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem and the subsequent exile and really just the collapse of life as you know, as as the Judean community knew it in 586 BCE. So it, it, it seems sometimes less accessible, maybe even less relevant. What I found in, in the Book of Lamentations is that it was exceedingly relevant, that, you know, um, it, it really offers human beings a, 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 an experience of what it means to suffer as a religious person and, and and as a religious community as well you know we have the the perspective of the community the perspective of the individual and how they can cope with suffering and you know and 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 cope with the world around them that that looks sometimes very grim the book of lamentations or eka in hebrew is traditionally understood to have been written by the prophet jeremiah lamenting the destruction of jerusalem according to jeremiah and the book of kings that destruction and exile came through Israel's rebellion against God. But you have a beautiful statement in your commentary that the tone of lamentations, quote, is not that of an irate or pacified prophet, but rather of an anguished witness, a suffering member of a downtrodden nation, end quote. Can you expand on this idea for us? Um, yeah, I mean, the, what's one of the remarkable things about the Book of Lamentations is that there is no named figure in the entire book, which I think is really very striking because, as as I said before, the historical context is very clear. But uh, among those unnamed figures that we know are are moving around at this time and are, are significant um, personalities during this period, including the king and, 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 you know, Jeremiah's scribe and, and all sorts of figures. 
Jeremiah is notably missing, uh, despite the fact that there's a very ancient and strong tradition that associates Jeremiah with the composition of this book. Um, he's really missing from the book. And, and one of the suggestions that I wanted to make is that Jeremiah has a certain kind of persona, one of, as I said, the irate prophet, the one who is coming to censure Israel for, for its sins. Um, but but that's not what this book is about. You know, Jeremiah has plenty of time to to do that, to accomplish that, which I think he does with, with tremendous pathos in the book of Jeremiah. But the book of Lamentations is a shared experience of pain, which whoever the author is, and, and, and perhaps especially if the author is in fact Jeremiah, it's it's a, an opportunity for Jeremiah to share the people's grief, to to you know to to compose a book which is not against them but with them. And that's part of what I think we do experience in the Book of Lamentations. It's not a censure. It's not. It's not like like the Book of of Jeremiah. Representing God's own character, Jeremiah is assuming he's the author. He's like a parent who, after warning a child of the dangers of a bad decision, when that result occurs, doesn't stand off and say, "I told you so," but draws near and shares in that hurt. It's an amazing view of God. Well, you know, one of the one of the places where I think that is very deeply developed is in early biblical, early rabbinic commentary. There's a wonderful uh, midrashic work, which is an, uh, an early rabbinic work on the Book of Lamentations, and and we can't forget, of course, that uh, you know the the rabbis at that time were were contending with their own destruction, right? The dis- the second destruction, the destruction of the second temple. And in that book, there are some remarkable portraits of God mourning with the people, of God crying with the people. And it all draws from the book of Lamentations in order to try to offer that consolation. It's it's a remarkable uh, way to do so because, you know, the book of Lamentations doesn't have a lot of consolation. It has a lot of pain. On page 29 of your commentary, you write, quote, on the one hand, Acha articulates intense anger at God, generated by acute awareness of the capriciousness of death, the triumph of evildoers, and the suffering of the innocent. However, Acha also assumes a measured pose, allowing a second approach to emerge from the turmoil, one that concludes that God remains just, even if events suggest otherwise." End quote. So rather than offering pat answers or even a rebuke, Lamentations seems to guide readers through the experience of suffering, enabling them to express their sorrow and confusion, their hurt and their questions. You seem to read Lamentations as something of a divine testimony to Israel's struggle with God. Would you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, you know, Lamentations is not a book of theology. It's it's not Job and it's not Ecclesiastes. It's 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 a book of human emotions, but within that turmoil of human emotions, I think there is a very strong theme of how the community grapples with God and with God's role in their suffering. Uh, that's certainly true about the first two chapters and the last two chapters. The middle chapter is perhaps the third chapter of the Book of Lamentations is even more extraordinary because it presents how the individual grapples with God within the midst of suffering. 
and that grappling, and I, I think that this was the the fact that drew me most to this book, and what you're picking up on is really, I think, in my mind, the most important point in the book, which is that the book does not offer a one-dimensional approach to God, because human beings are not one-dimensional, and our emotional world is not one-dimensional, and neither is our, our, our theological world. Our religious world is very complex, and there are days that we wake up and we say, I don't understand God and I don't understand the world that he's created. It's absurd and it's difficult to to live in that world because bad things happen to good people and sometimes good things happen to bad people. And, and we know that that is part of 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 the world that we that we live in. Um, and, and yet, on the other hand, one can't live in a world and only view its absurdities. That would be, a, I think, a very difficult world to reconcile oneself to, especially for a religious person. And so what I what I found in the Book of Lamentations is that the first chapter and the last chapter, you kind of look at it as like a, the periphery of the book. It, it encases the book in this sense of, of just pure and simple faith, right? The, 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 the first chapter in the Book of Lamentations tells us, Sadiqu Hashem kifihu mariti. God is righteous, for I have rebelled against against His word. And so, there's a sense there of 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 recognizing that even if I don't always understand every detail, I live in a world in which I believe deeply that there must be meaning, that there must be that you know that God's righteousness is 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 the ultimate um, you know sort of undercurrent in the world, even when sometimes the the storm swirls around and it's very difficult to see it. You also note that at the heart of the book in chapter 3, verses 21 through 39, which is the center of a chiastic structure, Echa offers a reflection on God's ongoing graciousness and faithfulness. There we find words of hope in the Lord's mercies and the greatness of his faithfulness. And we are reminded that his compassion never fails. Could you explain for us the literary structure of the Book of Lamentations and how it relates to this central message? Yeah, you know, um, I've been teaching Lamentations for many years, and I have this line that every time I say it, I hesitate before I say it, but I say it anyway, which is that I think that chapter three in the Book of Lamentations is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Now, I don't know, I'm not one to give points to chapters in the Bible, and we have some good ones really throughout. Um, but, you know, chapter three is it, it, it's it's the focus of the book and and rightly so. Uh, the other chapters swirl around it. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned the chiastic structure. So the way that I view the book of Lamentations is that it has these two concentric circles that move around the middle chapter. Chapters one and five are very similar in terms of their language, in terms of their substance in terms of their tone, their quiet chapters, and perhaps most important of all, in terms of their theology, right? These are the chapters that express perfect faith in God. Our inner circle, chapters two and four, these are much angrier chapter, chapters. They're very similar chapters in terms of language and tone and, and substance, and they're chapters that ex express uh, discomfort. With, with God, 
with the world around them, with what's happening. And these are, this is kind of, I talk about this as the kind of oscillation or the tangled fluctuation of, of, of human um, grappling with faith during suffering. But as, as, you know, as you mentioned, and as I started saying, it, it also focuses our attention on the middle chapter that has no, it has no parallel chapter and it, it, it's the heart of the book. And what I think, I mean, this is certainly, I think, as I said, a, a, an extraordinary chapter in the Bible. It tells the story of one suffering individual and it itself is divided into three parts. The first part tells the story of how the individual suffers. The third part goes back to that suffering of the individual. But the middle section is, is, is the only real grappling with theology in the entire book of Lamentations. And there, the, the individual, he kind of digs deep into his inner self and he emerges with, I think, some extraordinary revelations, as you said, both about God's goodness and perhaps what I think is even more striking about human resilience, right? He, he, he digs down deep and what he finds is a good God and also a meaningful existence for humans. What, what's really at the very, very heart of the Book of Lamentations, right there in the center, is are humans is is faith in humans and in the human ability to create a world of faith a world that is buffered and and protected by god and that's that's very human right i i always say i think that the bible is a celebration of humans and and the strength of humans and the ability of human beings to rise to the challenge that that God puts to, to, to them, right? So there's, I think that's, that's really um, one of the most beautiful messages and, and I think relevant messages of the Book of Lamentations. It's amazing that while reading the Book of Lamentations, one may get the impression of dizzying grief and chaos. And yet when you pan back, there's this beautiful organized structure. Even the chapters were written as an alphabet acrostic. Do you think that acrostic form relates to the book's message? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we don't have that many uh, alphabetic acrostic structures in the Bible. Most of them are in the Book of Psalms, and they're, you know, scattered throughout in, in you know, in all sorts of um, uh, different Psalms. We have one, of course, also in the Book of Proverbs at the very end of the book, and then we have four out of five chapters in the Book of Lamentations, which are, as you noted, alphabetic acrostics. What are they used for, these alphabetic acrostics? So first of all, I, I think you're, you sort of uh, alluded to this before, which is that they, they do enable us to create some kind of order out of chaos, right? Which I think is part of what the Book of Lamentations is seeking to do. At the same time, of course, they express the totality of suffering, right? When you have, you know, we even use this as an expression from A to Z, everything is included. There's almost this sense that I would like to stand here all day and use every single word in the, you know, human language that can possibly express what I'm feeling now, but, you know, that's beyond us. And so the, the, the book itself is able to express totality of suffering without spending more than 22 um, uh, uh, verses doing so. Uh, of course, in, in chapter three, there are 66 verses because we have there a triple acrostic, which is also an interesting phenomenon. 
Now, I also want to take a moment and let our hearers know that you also have an excellent commentary on the book of Ruth. The title is Ruth from Alienation to Monarchy, also with Corin Publishers. One of my favorite sections is where you draw out literary parallels with other stories in the Bible. For example, you develop how the Lot and Abraham narratives serve as background for the story of Ruth. Would you expand on that connection? Yeah, sure. Um, the, the story of Lot and Abraham is the story of a very big mistake. Lot makes a big mistake. He, he separates himself from this righteous uncle that he has, who is, you know, walking in the path of God, who's being given this wonderful opportunity to create a nation that serves God. And Lot says, well, you know, I don't know, the, the land is kind of narrow. I'm, we're going to separate, you know, they have this kind of um, uh, argument going on between their shepherds. And he says, I- I'm going to go to the, uh, I'm going to go live with, with the city of Sodom, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and the Bible already, without actually directly criticizing Lot, because the Bible tends to be a little more subtle in its messages, tells us very explicitly there, and the people of Sodom were evil and bad to God, right? Ra'im v'chata'im Hashem me'od. Oh, I forgot that word. Very evil and sinful before God, right? It's, it's really a very extreme depiction. And what transpires later on is this story of Lot who kind of thinks he can hold on to the Abrahamic values that he grew up with. You know, he, he plays the good host to the angelic figures who come to visit him. He doesn't know that they're angels, but he kind of risks his life to host these men in an environment which is not known for its generosity, for its, its, its compassion to others. And the story goes all wrong. It goes awry, the story, because Lot made a bad choice. He chose to live in a place which was filled with sinful people. And, and that seems to be what the, the, the Bible is, is pointing us towards. Now, what's, 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 it, what's interesting about the, the Ruth story is that Ruth is a descendant of Lot. And she finds herself at the beginning of the book with her sister-in-law, right, with Orpah. And they're both standing on this crossroads and they have to make a decision. Are we returning to the land of Moab, which is the spiritual heir to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? They are the, they, they're known for their lack of generosity, for their lack of compassion. They represent the antithesis of Abrahamic values. Am I going to return there or am I going to accompany Naomi to the city of Bethlehem in order to pursue a different kind of lifestyle? And what's, what's interesting, and this is, I think, one of the beautiful literary ways in which the Bible works, is that the Bible uses a lot of specific language from the Lot and Abraham story to depict Ruth kind of making the opposite choice and thereby closing the circle that, that Lot started. I mean, she, you know, there, back in that story, we're told the word that is used is the word parad or pared. They separated, Lot separated from his uncle. And that was 
problematic that was obviously had some very negative consequences and 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 root when 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 naomi says to her you know you shouldn't come with me you have no future here in bethlehem she takes an oath in the name of god i swear by god that only death will separate us and she uses that same word that was used to describe the separation of lot and abraham it's a rather rare word in the bible and so it clearly seems to be indicating that's the way, you know, the Bible draws our attention to earlier stories. It says, well, look at this. Root has come back. She has, you know, kind of closed that historic circle of, of Lot leaving Abraham. She's come back to Abraham, more importantly, to the ways of Abraham. And she, of course, becomes the model of compassion. She becomes this almost Abrahamic figure who can actually bring compassion back to the, the, the people of Israel who are right now on a not such good path themselves, but maybe we'll leave that for, for another time. <laughs> Before letting you go, I can't resist also asking you about your book covers. Both commentaries on Ruth and Lamentations feature Van Gogh paintings. I love Van Gogh. Did you choose those yourself? Is there a story behind those? There is, of course, there is. Um, well, it started with Ruth. Um, I, I just couldn't agree with any of the biblical art <laughs> that was that, that. You know, I went through all these different uh, artistic renditions of of different scenes in in Ruth, and I was having a hard time saying, "Oh, I, I can I can sign off on on every nuance <laughs> in this painting." I'm not a, I'm not at all artistic, but I love art, and I felt that. I would have done it differently had I been able to paint. So, it, it, you know, um, that's what I felt about Rudin. And, and I found this beautiful Van Gogh and I'm a great, great fan of Van Gogh's uh, art. And, uh, you know, so I chose this Van Gogh. That was pretty much what happened with Ruth. And then when it came to Lamentations seven years later, I said, you know, I just I can't bear the thought. Of, of of putting on the cover of Lamentations, you know, a depiction of Jerusalem burning or a Rembrandt of Jeremiah crying. I mean, in spite of the fact that I wrote uh, uh, for seven years on the book of Lamentations, I'm actually, by nature, I'm a deeply optimistic person. And it was very hard for me to imagine putting out a book that, you know, didn't reflect some of the optimism that I was trying to foster in 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 the book and so you know i i thought well what i really want to say about the book of lamentations is about this turbulence this storm of human emotions where right in the center in the eye of the storm human beings can find this deep sense of peace and so i i, I found you know i went I went to Van Gogh. I know he was, he had a lot of turbulence going on and I like the eye of the storm here as well. So that was, that is the story behind it. Can you tell us what's next for you in terms of publications? Yeah, well, I'm actually working on writing about Exodus. So we had been talking a little bit earlier about some of the themes in Exodus. Uh, I'll be writing a, a commentary on the first part of Exodus. I mean, you know, here I wrote these very big books on, on four chapters and five chapter books. And of course, Exodus is many more chapters. So it might be a little bit of a broader look and, and, and less of a, 
of, of you know, I mean, I, I hope there'll still be depth analysis, but I don't think I'll be able to write a running commentary on every verse the way that I try to do both in Ruth and in Lamentations. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've, I've uh, I had a sabbatical at the first part of this year, so I did actually devote myself to uh, to, to writing on, on I, I got through the first six chapters so far. Thank you for being with us today, Yael. It has been a joy getting to know you and hearing about your work. Yeah, likewise. All right, friends, you've been listening to New Books in Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.